0: Lot Talk Radio. Persecuted from Within, coming up next right here on the Parker J. Cole Show. Hi and welcome to the Parker J. Cole Show. I'm your host, the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today we're going to be talking to my special guest today, Alec Torres. He is the former speechwriter for President Donald Trump and House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy, and has ghostwritten written for cabinet, secretaries, ambassadors, national media personalities and business leaders. He is the co-founder of Allograf, a strategic writing communications and design firm. Today he lives with his wife and children and dogs in Texas. Alec, how you doing today? Great, Parker. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be here with me today. I'm really excited to talk to you because I don't get a chance to talk to someone who has been so closely aligned with major leaders of our country. So this is really exciting for me.
1: (laughs) Well, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. I love to shed a little light whenever I'm able on such things.
0: How does one become a speechwriter for the president?
1: Well, honestly there's a lot of way. oh I, I you know I'm forgetting my manners first off I just wanted to thank you so much you know in the first place for having me on and bringing up the book uh, persecuted from within it's uh uh let's just say I spent my life as a ghost writer so to be writing something with my name on it is a, is a little unique I
0: know uh, the link I can understand yeah <laughs> it's,
1: it's different I'm used to being behind the scenes and uh, uh here I am doing the interviews. but um but no, my, my uh, it's it's all attributed to God. I, I really, I I didn't even like writing in college, and it just a series of events happened. I, I stumbled into a job writing at a magazine. Uh, You know, somebody passed my name along to McCarthy's office. They liked what I was doing, and they hired me there. And I worked with Speaker McCarthy for four years as his speechwriter. And and all of a sudden one day I. I somehow my name got over to the folks at the White House who liked what I was doing with Speaker McCarthy and they hired me along there. So I, I, I tell people it's really bad career advice to just wait for the Holy Spirit to do work and uh and and uh you know guide you along up, up the ladder, but it, it worked out for me.
0: You had the opportunity to really be in the thick of things political wise. When you're in it political wise, how does that change your view about it?
1: It's a, it's a strange thing to be seeing things from the inside. I think it's always a balance uh, of, I mean, really, the, the, the struggle is always how do you live your faith in your daily life? And in politics, it's a very, very tough world to be in because you're constantly having to make decisions. You're constantly having to make judgment calls. There's not clear answers to things. Uh, the words that I wrote or the decisions that the leaders I was working for made had big ramifications for people. I'd, I'd be lying if I said I agreed with every single one of them. But at the same time, I also had to acknowledge that that um, you know, those people were voted in and not me. So I had to do my best to faithfully serve them while serving God first. So uh, it, it's it's a it's a strange world to be in. It's a complicated world to be in. Uh, it has many pitfalls, but it has a lot of a lot of great glory too as well.
0: It's fascinating that you said even though you may not have agreed with your leaders, you still wanted to serve. And I think that underpins your book, Persecuted From Within. And Persecuted From Within takes a very candid look at the Catholic Church. The full title actually is Persecuted From Within, How the Saints Endured Crises in the Church. And you co wrote this with another author named Joshua Charles. So I would love to know what the premise and the genesis was of this book.
1: Certainly. Um and just so folks know, Josh Charles was another White House speechwriter with me. We were colleagues together. Um, and, uh, it, you know, really what happened was that I, I, I was wondering how Christians should deal with scandal in the church and with, and with, with bad leadership, frankly, because we see it everywhere. I mean, it's, it can be visible in the Catholic church circling, but it's also, uh, it, it can be visible among any denomination where there's, you know, a leader will, uh, abuse his leadership authority, or guide people astray, or do something wrong. I, I, we see it time again. So I wanted to know, how, do, how does one act in a Christian way in that situation? How should one respond? And uh, truth be told, I didn't know. Uh, I, I don't have the answers there. So I decided to, to look and, and essentially ask the people who did have the answers. And those people were, were great saints, great Christians from the past, those who lived in the 2,000 years since since uh, uh, Jesus walked on the earth, how did they react in situations where their leadership abused them, or where they acted improperly, or leading people astray? Uh, so, and did so in a way that was holy, and and ultimately brought them closer to God.
0: I love what you just said about making sure we understand that we can see the scandal in the Catholic Church, but evangelicals and everyone else has their dirt on the laundry line, like the rest of us. And I think that's important because when the Catholic scandals came out, really in the 90s, I think I want to say late 90s, when it really became the center of attention, people were pointing fingers. And then just about 10 years later, you had all these scandals with the evangelical side of the faith here. And I'm glad that you said we all have to deal with it. And we all still have to follow the Lord, even when our leaders fall. And we still have to be obedient to God's word, while still respecting the office of those leaders. But then there are times when you have to take a stand against bad leadership. And I believe that your book goes into that.
1: It certainly does. It ended up being really at the core of the book um, because it's it's one thing if, if you have a mentality that just says, well, there's bad leaders, what do you do? Uh, you throw them off or you ignore them or you go move somewhere else. Um you know, that's that's a very common way to do things, and it's and it's right in many circumstances. You know, if you have an abusive boss at your job or something like that, you have no obligation to stay there. But it's different if you say have an abusive father. You know, nothing you do changes who your father is, and and, and you, you you shouldn't hate your father. You should love your father, and you need to. You're still in his family no matter what. So it's that same way in the church. We we know from scripture that the Lord appoints shepherds over us, uh, but we also know that the Lord allows. There to be bad shepherds allows there to be false shepherds. He doesn't want that to be the case. He doesn't proactively will that to be the case, but it is the case. Uh, I mean, Jesus Himself, when He was being um, uh, going through His passion, told Pontius Pilate that He would not have authority that wasn't given to Him by the Father. So, so Jesus Himself faced this, seeing a leader that He, that His Father, you know, it, the the Father in the Trinity put in power was the one who was sentencing Him to death. And he didn't say, well, let's overthrow Pontius Pilate. He actually submitted in that circumstance. So this is, a, this is a tension that Christians always have to play with. How do we be obedient to those whom God put over us while not uh, accepting or, or being quiet to the times in which they are abusive, scandalous, or, or radical, or any number of, of errors that can happen among our leaders?
0: Going through this book, I'm pretty sure you had to acquaint yourself with church history. And church history, I find completely fascinating because you have these great saints who were willing to die for their faith we 're not talking just the disciples who were willing to die, but people who follow after them as you 're going through church history, what is the criteria that you use to select the people you 're going to highlight in this book
1: we We wanted to have a very good um we wanted to have a very broad look at the types of people uh, uh, that, at the types of situations that people could be presented with. Um, so unfortunately, it's the case that there were a lot of, of phenomenal holy Christians in, in the 2000 years of the church's history who have been persecuted by their own leaders. So, so sadly, there wasn't a short list to deal with, but we, we decided that we wanted people stretching from the very first century of the church, uh, you know, all through the 20th century, as close as we could get to today, covering, um, you know, almost every inhabitable continent uh, in different cultures and times. So, so to just give a flavor, you know, part of it, we talk about St. Paul. We talk about St. Uh, uh, Athanasius, who was a bishop in the 300s. Uh, Joan of Arc, who was um, in medieval France. Uh, Alphonsus Sluguri, who was more in the uh, Renaissance and Reformation times uh, in Italy, uh, Padre Pio in the 20th century, or Fulton Sheen in the 20th century in America. So we really wanted to stretch over time and situations and circumstances. Some of those people died. Some of them were martyred. Some of them faced other forms of persecution. They were... Uh, thrown away from their positions of power they were uh, maligned uh, publicly they had their reputations thrown aside some of them were restricted from doing ministry or from operating publicly so they really faced a big gambit of, of responses to staying true to the faith
0: if we were to select from the many people that you highlighted in this book and again dear listener this book is persecuted from within how the saints endure crisis in the church if you can name two, what were two of your favorite to really expand on as you learned about how they dealt with crises in the church?
1: Mm-hmm. And it's kind of it's unfair not... to do two, right? It's kind it, of it's very <laughs> tough because automatically I'm thinking three or four for different reasons, and, yeah. and I'm gonna I'm going to choose two that on their face seem very very different in their responses, and and I'll try to be brief. They are also just very separated by time. I mentioned them a moment ago um the first is is saint athanasius um he was in the 300s and just very very briefly there was this uh heresy that was going on in the church it was called arianism at the time and uh
0: i have to one- stop you alec because i love you talking about the arian heresy just want to say yeah. thank you go ahead keep going <laughs> of course well you
1: know I, I there's going to be some theologian out there who's like well technically you know it was this but, but in very layman's terms here he the Arian heresy essentially said that Jesus was not God. He wasn't, he wasn't eternal with the Father. He was created by the Father. And, and if that's the case, I mean, there's just all sorts of problems, like what does his death and resurrection save us? Uh, you know, can he be perfect? You know, there, there's all these ramifications that happen. So it wasn't a small question. And um, in that time, St. Athanasius, he was one of the few bishops, one of the top leaders of the church who really stood against Uh, this heresy and spoke against it. At times, he had the emperor against him. You know, the the highest uh, civil authority in the world at that time was arrayed against him. Uh, At times, he had many, many bishops and leaders in the church against him. It was to the point where even the majority of leaders in the church actually believed something that pretty much all Christians today acknowledge is wrong. Uh, Catholic, Protestant, you know, anything, Eastern Orthodox, we all acknowledge that this isn't correct. And most Christian leaders at that time believed this falsehood. So St. Athanasius was bold. I, I mean, he was exiled six times for, for proclaiming the truth. Uh, he, uh, you know, he suffered grave persecution, uh, and, and, and he was very bold and public about it. Uh, and, and the reason why I like to pair him with St. Padre Pio is because Padre Pio in the 20th century Italy almost shows the, the opposite uh, response. And um, so, so he was a famous mystic and holy man. He had the, the stigmata of wounds of Jesus in his hands uh, and in his feet. Um, because it was the 20th century, you can actually see pictures of it, and it was verified medically. It's a fascinating story. Um, but he, the, the leaders in his time, didn't. they thought he was a fraud. They thought that he was causing the wounds in himself, that he was trying to gain popularity, that he was trying to get money from people. Uh, all these things. So they 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 imposed massive restrictions on. Him. They told him he couldn't celebrate mass. He couldn't hear confessions. I, I think at one point they even told him that if he passed a person in the hall, he couldn't say hello to them. He could nod at them and walk by. I mean, that that's talk about a, an insane tyrannical restriction on somebody. Um, but what did he do? He he obeyed his superiors. He was a monk and he vowed obedience. So he obeyed his superiors. And he went through what he called years of imprisonment, uh, only to later have his name cleared, but after years upon years of being falsely accused and falsely attacked. Um, So it just shows, these two saints show just how different the circumstances can be and how we judge our responses.
0: I wanted to read scripture from 2 Timothy that I think underpins what you said here about these two men. And I'm coming from Second Timothy chapter 2. I'm just going to read just two verses. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. And this is the underpinning verse. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And I can't think of one of the better verses to really underpin what it means to stand with the Lord, even if you have to stand alone. My mom always says, Alec, that wrong is wrong if everyone does it. And right is right if only one person does it. And I liked how those two examples really helped to showcase the truth of that saying. So you're in this book, you're writing it, and you're thinking, how can I reach people who are not of the Catholic faith? There's often a division between Protestant and Catholicism, but there are many areas of agreement. So how can the Catholics who are picking up this book, they want to read, they want to share it with their Protestant friends or whoever, how can they use the information in this book to build bridges?
1: It's, it's a good question. Uh, and it's one that was very close to the art of, of me, and, and I can speak for my co-author as well, for Josh. Uh, we're actually both converts from Protestantism, and, and we came into the Catholic Church. Uh, I came in 2014. I think he was later in 2018 or 2019, so relatively recently in, in the grand scheme of things. And um, we have a great love for our Protestant brothers and sisters. They, um, uh, there's there's many ways that you can... Um, build bridges, and I think one of them we mentioned at the beginning of the show is to men- is to discuss how we we all face the same uh, difficulties. We all face the same crises of faith. Now, I'll be completely honest. I, I want everyone to be Catholic. I, I believe that it's true. Um, I-, I came to that belief, and-, and I have many reasons for it, and I hope other people would do the same. But that being said, I, I would hate if my Protestant brothers and sisters became Catholic because they had a pastor or a leader in their church who, who did something wrong. If that were the only reason, and they said, well, I just can't trust my church anymore because I have this leader that did something wrong, I would say, well, you're not going to be Catholic for very long because we have leaders who do things wrong too. Uh, you have to have your faith in Jesus first and foremost. And, and if your faith is in anything else, then it's going to falter. So uh, I, I found that there's, the Catholic tradition is very, very rich. We, we delve into church history. We mm-hmm. really study it. We like to know it. Um, and and uh, oftentimes I find that uh, you know, Protestants may not know as much of this history uh, simply because it's not part of their tradition. So hopefully it, this, there's a lot of information, new information, that can shed the, light, shed the light that they wouldn't have otherwise had.
0: And history is a lovely bridge of which to build, because if you don't know your past, you don't know what the future holds, because you're doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past if you don't know what those mistakes were. And for me, church history, particularly in the beginning, unifies both Protestant and Catholic, because that's the beginning of the church. I mean, we're talking from the apostles back, (laughs) I mean, from the apostles uh, forward. So I'm so glad you mentioned that. And Those areas of disagreement are worthy of discussion. Some people, and I would love to get your thoughts about this, Alec, some people are so afraid of the conversation that they don't want to have it because they say, well, you just believe what you believe, I believe what I believe. But you use the example of Athanasius. Athanasius was alone, or one of the few rather, who believed that Jesus is God. But because he stood firm against those who didn't, we now have the correct view of God. And you mentioned how if Jesus is not God, our faith is dead. It is not worthy of following it. And so these type of discussions, I believe, are worthy of having. What do you think about that, though?
1: A hundred percent. It's uh, I. I actually recommend anybody on this show Catholic, Protestant, uh, you know, secular, atheist uh, to to read church history because it is absolutely fascinating. Church fathers early church history, uh, uh, through the Middle Ages and beyond, because you can see one of the things that I find um, so comforting is to know that times in the past were very, very messy, but that the Holy Spirit was still working through them. And, and no matter how, even people at those times, they didn't know how things were going to turn out. I mean, some of these people that, we, that, that detail in our book they they died wondering if their own projects were going to succeed or not, or, or wondering if they were going to have, uh, uh, you know, be remembered as, as a, a terrible person or as a saint. You know, it, it, was, it was hard for them to tell, but that the Holy Spirit was working through it the whole time. And if you can look at church history and the development of Christianity through that lens, the understanding that nothing is random, and that the church grew and developed and, and, uh, explain doctrine by like correcting the Indian heresy and other heresies that happened over time to have, um, it's not that they added to the truth ever, but that they expounded on the truth that Jesus gave continually over time. It's a very, very beautiful development into the fullness of the doctrine that we have today. And, and also just helping us deal with our own trials and difficulties now to understand that, heck, we're nothing new is under the sun, you know, as, as, as Solomon said, there, there's, we're, We are not alone in this trial.
0: I like that you said nothing is new under the sun. And there's a lot of comfort to be had in that continuity of the human experience. That 300 years ago, 400 years ago, 1,000 years ago, people have been doing the same thing they have been doing. And I wonder why God doesn't just end the cycle. Sometimes, you know, unless he looks down from us like, Oh, they're doing that again, huh? You know? <laughs> and I think he just, just just, gives us so much grace and the opportunity to come before him and fall down before him in total, total submission to him. Now, Alec, what is your hope that readers who pick up this book, what is your hope that they would take away after they finish it?
1: My purpose more than anything else was that I wanted people to keep the faith. It's it's. It's a paradoxical in many ways because, you know, what what we're doing is is airing dirty laundry in a certain respect. To put it crassly, we're we're showing bad times in church history, showing times in which leaders were corrupt, in which leaders were wrong, in which innocent people suffered. And one could look at that and say, well, how is that how is that going to help anybody's faith? Just detailing wrongs. Well, the the reason why is because Christ reigns victorious at the end of all of it, both in the individual stories and in history as a whole. So, in our own personal lives and in the arc of history, we know that Christ reigns supreme. So, in a way, I actually think that it's more scandalous and, and worse for people to try and sweep things under the rug and and ignore problems uh, because it. it it doesn't allow them to experience the fullness of, of, of Christ's power and healing power in our lives in brokenness, because there will be a time in which the brokenness of the world will confront us so personally and so directly that we can't sweep it under the rug, that we have to face it. Um, you know, it, it could be the death of a family member. It could be a scandal in our own lives. It could be a wrong decision of us or a spouse or anything, any number of things. It could be within the church or within ourselves. We're going to face a crisis moment. You know, Jesus promised us persecution. He promised us suffering. So it will come. So we need to learn how to deal with that. And, and in a, in a strange way, a paradoxical way, seeing how that worked in other people's lives in history and how they came through it in the end, even holier with greater faith and greater trust in God and more love for the Trinity. Um, it's inspiring. And, and it, and, it, and I found people that I've spoken to this book about their, their own faith is strengthened by hearing these stories, however sad and terrible they might be in in many individual circumstances or, or in brief periods of time. So that's my hope for the book. I want people to be strong in their faith. And when tough times come to say, I'm staying in the church, I'm not leaving the church, I will be with Jesus no matter what.
0: I am so glad you mentioned that. And I actually understood exactly what you meant when you said, I'm airing dirty laundry. How can that strengthen someone's face? One of the examples I believe Frank Turek uses when he talks about Christianity and the truth of Christianity is that we don't hide our dirty laundry. We shouldn't anyway. I don't say you have to be completely transparent with everyone that you meet, but we don't hide our dirty laundry. Even the faith, the disciples, they were not... The best examples of the faith before Jesus rose from the grave. You know they all scattered. They they left him alone, and then when it came back, guess what? He empowered them, Im- imbued them rather with the Holy Spirit to do the great work that he had for them. And I like that you also said if you don't talk about these things, you're going to have to face them anyway. As someone told me, reality will catch up with you, and <laughs> you'd have to deal with it. So Alec, this has been just a wonderful conversation. I want to know, where can we get it from?
1: The best place to find it is at Sophia Institute Press. Um, I, I recommend people look it up there. Uh, but if you're unable to find it there, we're also on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and things like that. Uh, just type in the title, Persecuted From Within, um, and uh, it should pop up, especially if you throw my name on there. Alec Torres.
0: In the last moments that we have, what I would love for you to do is just give us your final thoughts about this topic.
1: Well, you know, you're asking me to. I, I felt like I had such an eloquent thing the answer there, so it's hard for me to top it. But uh, you know, well, I, I
0: actually, I, I wouldn't mind if you don't mind. I wouldn't mind if you pray for us. Just pray for those who are hurt by things in the church, and pray for those who have been uh, really persecuted by the church in many ways and have lost their way. I would love for you to pray for those. Would you mind doing that?
1: Absolutely not. I, you know, that's that's a perfect recommendation because as the saints teach us time and time again. Uh, they're strengthened by prayer, and it is only through communion with God that they can endure any of these things. So I would be happy to.
0: All right, I'm going to go ahead, and mute myself, and take it away.
1: All right, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that life is difficult. Uh, we know that life has its joys, too, and we know that oftentimes that can be mixed all together. Uh, and you ask us to to approach it all with joy, with gladness, and with serenity. Uh, that we know we cannot attain on our own, that we can't grasp at our own, but that we rely totally upon you and your grace and your working in our lives. We pray for those who have been hurt by church leaders. We pray that, for those who have been led astray by church leaders and for those who have been wrong. Uh, we pray for those who have been persecuted by those whom they uh, are supposed to trust and, and it was they, that those people were not worthy of their trust. Um, that these wounds would be healed by you and that they would be strengthened through their suffering as you taught us time and again that our suffering brings us to you, Lord. Um, so thank you for this opportunity to speak with people. Thank you for the opportunity to have written this book. I pray your spirit will continue to guide it and bless its work, uh, that even if one soul is saved, that all this work would be worth it, Lord. Uh, we offer all these prayers in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much, Alex, so much for that prayer. It's just a wonderful prayer, and I know our listeners are blessed by that. Thank you for being with me on the show today. We really enjoyed having you, and I cannot wait to have you
1: back and have you back soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Parker. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: And we were talking today to Alec Torres. He is the author, or rather co-author, of the book Persecuted from Within, How the Saints Endured Crises in the Church. And this book is going from a Catholic perspective. But I'm pretty sure anyone looking to grow their faith despite the difficulties they may have with church scandal, church church hurt, and other things will find this beneficial to them. So go ahead, pick up your copy today, available on Amazon.com, at Sophia Institute, or wherever books are sold. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the Parker J. Cole Show. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day, and God bless